Hello. Good evening. How's everyone doing tonight? Sweet. That's probably the best response that we've gotten in months. And this is probably the most amount of people that have been in the room at the beginning of a service in months. Um, Tucson, I don't know if you know this, is habitually about seven minutes late. So for those of you who are online, uh, you could be watching this on Tuesday. So you're now two days late, but that's fine. There's no judgment here. I'm just kidding. I'm being sarcastic. I really shouldn't do that. That's not welcoming, is it? Let's start again. Hey, good evening. Welcome to Element City Church. Just kidding. So I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Lyle. If this is your first time, uh, I am sarcastic, and I'm sorry that you had to see that. So we just want to, first of all, apologize, and secondly, invite you to meet Pastor Chuck at the 10-minute party afterward. He's uh, just, yeah, this is going down. I'm kidding. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, if you're your first time, uh, we've got a church app, the Elements City Church app. You can get that on the Google Play Store. You can get that in the Apple App Store. Uh, we'd invite you to download that. That's the best place to get up-to-date information about events, uh, about literally anything that is going on uh, within the church. We've got playlists there. We've got sermon notes, um, lots of stuff. So that's a great thing to have uh, on your phone and on your device. And it's free. And hey, you get to take us with you. Like Jack says, we travel light. So that's fun. Do that. Get the app. Uh, Also, we've got, uh, if you're tuning in online, uh, regardless of when it is, I promise, we're excited that you're tuning in. So if it is Tuesday night, thank you. Like we just, we love the fact that we can do church whenever. uh, If you, you can't be here in the room, you can still have church in your home and the Holy Spirit can still work and speak to you uh, in, in the same way. And so we, we love that we're able to connect with people in that new way. We've got hosts uh, who are there in the chat that are waiting to connect with you if you're watching through the church's website. So uh, don't be afraid to say hello. Let us know where you're tuning in from. Uh, they're there to pray for you. They're there to do whatever it is that uh, you to answer any questions you might have. So uh, you might also notice there's a, a button that says connection card. So if you're online, we'd love to invite you to c- uh, click on that connection card if you want to find out more about elements and get connected uh, with the church, that's one way to do that. And if you're here in the room, uh, we've got the 10 minute party where you can go back and we've got there uh, the the best kettle corn uh, here in Tucson. I think Jack switched it up and I don't remember what it was. Old Pueblo. Thank you. Jesse, man, coming through. Love it. Thank you. Best kettle corn in the old Pueblo. Got to remember that Tucson nickname. Love it. So uh, you can head back there, fill out the connection card uh, after the service, or you can pull out your phone now. If you dial uh, 520 Three four zero six eight six eight. You can text the word hello uh, and get the link to fill out the connection card as well. So let's all stand together. We're going to get ready to worship tonight. Um, someone just literally walked in and sat down. I'm like, let's all stand. And it's just like, gosh, this guy, right? I'm, I told you I'm not starting well tonight. I'm sorry. Really sorry. Uh, but we are going to pray for the church of the week, and that's Bethel Community Baptist Church. Uh, they've got an interim pastor right now, Dennis Watson. Uh, and so we want to pray for them. We want to pray for Pastor Dennis, and we also want to pray for them uh, as they, they search for a new pastor. Uh, that's obviously a real big deal uh, for them. But we're excited to worship together tonight. We're going to sing some songs when we're done praying here. Jack's going to come up and preach. We've got a couple songs, I think one song afterward. And so that's kind of where we're going tonight. Uh, but again, thanks for being here, and thanks for joining us. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. So, Father, thank you uh, for the work that you want to do tonight. I'm so grateful that we get to gather together uh, in this room to to lift up the name of Jesus, because that's what it's all about. Every single person that's in this room has a story of how, uh, God, you have come through for them in some significant way. And as you did so, it, it drew our heart to yours, and it drew us to the love that you have for us as your children. And it's, it's, it's this the reason we gather here, it's our response to you, to what it is that you've done. And I love our church. I love that we get to gather together to do this and remember that, that, that you uh, showed us what love looks like when we didn't even know. It's what your word tells us, that, that we love you because you first loved us. 
And so that's why we gather. That's why we worship tonight is to respond to your great love. Would it awaken our hearts tonight to the beauty of your glory? Would you awaken our hearts tonight to how you're moving and how your spirit is working in this room so that we can respond in a way that's meaningful? And Lord, we don't wanna just pray for our own church. We wanna pray for churches around the city because uh, you're active all over the place in this town. You're not active just here in Tucson, God. You're active all around the world. And so one way that we can constantly remember that the church is more than just us is to pray for these churches. And so we pray for Bethel Community Baptist Church. We pray for their pastor, Dennis uh, Watson. And we pray, God, that uh, as he's in this interim season, Lord, would you give him wisdom on how he can best shepherd uh, those folks? But we, we pray for them and their community as they search for their next pastor. Would your spirit lead them uh, quickly to identify who that next person is gonna be, Lord? And just, would you write just a beautiful story about how you bring that person to their church? Uh, we pray for them. Uh, just that they would uh, continually seek you uh, and, and your leadership to see how they can be a blessing to their community, Lord. So give them fresh vision, give them fresh inspiration, and provide all that they need, God, to continue to be a blessing to their community. But Lord, we love you. We're, again, we're excited to gather tonight to worship you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Yes, God. We sing this song on repeat tonight, Lord. And sometimes our heart has to repeat and our mind has to repeat over and over until we believe it, until these words become the foundation. Lord, so tonight we pray for every heart here that we would experience your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and your grace and your love, which is above all. So I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, as they sit, as they sit in peace, Lord, I pray that they will see for who you are and you are good. I ask, Father, that they also would see that you are truth and you are the way and you are the life. You are the beginning of everything, God. And Father, we are look to you. We are look to you, God. We look at your goodness and your faithfulness, God. And we know that you will always, always come through. It doesn't matter where we are in our life and which season we are going through, Lord, you will always be with us. So tonight, God, we rest in you. We want to learn from you, from the Holy Spirit. So open our hearts, prepare our hearts to listen. And as we're listening, God, we pray that you would change us and transform us, that we would become more and more and more like Jesus every day. Lord, we love you, and we pray all these things in your beautiful and precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Amen. It is good to worship together, and if uh, I know we've got several that are watching from home, dealing with uh, illness and, and worshiping from there, worshiping here in the house, so we are grateful to just be able to live in an age where we can dial in digitally, we can be here in person, and so wherever you are, um, we just love to worship together and kind of set a space and a place and a time for us to have an experience with God. And this is part of that. We're going to end with worship here. So if you're new, uh, if, you're really, if you're really new, I'm Jack, we, if we haven't met yet, um, but one of the pastors here, and we'd love to continue to, to just connect with you and help you connect with God. And uh, tonight, I want you to think back to your high school days. For some of you, it takes a little longer, so I'm giving more time, but uh, like, you know, for some of us, it's a little further back in the, the reaches of our mind. And so think back to the high school days. You walked in, the teacher would come to the front of the class and say, pop quiz. Oh, yeah, audible moan, right? That would be what happened. But uh, tough, it's time for a pop quiz, all right? You ready? True or false, these statements. Fingernails and hair continue to grow after death. True or false? False. Actually, your skin begins to recede, and that's what it makes it look like it's continuing to grow. Carl Lewis holds the record for the most individual gold medals in the Olympics. True or false? Michael? No, Phelps. There you go. Uh, skin is the human body's largest organ. True or false? Uh, the funny bone is really a bone. Uh, that's false. Some of you have been hitting that and looking for that for a long time. That's disappointing to know that it's false. Okay, Vincent van Gogh sold only one painting in his lifetime. True or false? True, the Red Vineyard, a few months before he died in 1890. Other ones sold afterwards. Run DMC, come on. 
was the first rap group to go gold and be nominated for a Grammy. True or false? Anyone say false? It's true. Um, the name Wall Street stems from the row of walls of banks that greeted visitors in New York City's financial district in the 1800s. False. Actually, there's a different kind of wall that it refers to. The blue whale, the world's largest animal, has teeth 12 inches long. False. The blue whale has no teeth. So corn, the most produced crop in the world. True or false? True. Corn is first. Wheat, second. Rice, third. And the last one, Academy Awards are annually the most watched single telecast in the United States. False. Anyone know what it is? Super Bowl. Glad you brought up the Super Bowl. That reminds me that uh, in a couple Sundays, uh, we will not be meeting here on February 13th. Instead, we're going to do Serve Sunday, where we're challenging you as a family or as a person or as a couple people or as an e-group or a discipleship group to serve somewhere in the morning. Then check out the online service uh, somewhere in the afternoon, anytime after noon on, and then enjoy the game. Uh, so we will not be meeting during the Super Bowl, um, and uh, that's fine. So we'll be back to normal on the 20th of February. But if you have questions of like, I don't know how to plan a service event, fine, go to the app. First 35 people can sign up and serve with us at the Gospel Rescue Mission. If you need something else and you're like, I don't know what else to do, okay, talk to Amy in the foyer. You can maybe help to do some beautification at uh, Catalina High School. I don't know what else to do. You know what? Figure it out. We provided two opportunities for you. So you can do it. I believe in you. Uh, so find your e-group, figure out a way to serve in the morning, and then join us back. So why did I start with a true-false quiz? A, I just wanted to get your heart rate up. Uh, that's good for you. Um, but part of it is this idea of truth. As we continue in this series of, of Tove, kind of creating a culture of godly goodness, part of that is nurturing truth. Part of understanding, and, and truth is such an interesting word right now, isn't it? There's an inter- we live in an interesting time. Um, where truth is relative for a lot of people. Uh, and a lot of people would say, well, that's true for you and not true for me and all that kind of stuff. And, and we, can, we can get into the nuance of all of that, and I don't have time for all that, but in building a culture, we are to build a culture of truth, truth-telling for ourselves and truth-telling into our relationships around. I want you to see this important verse in John, the Gospel of John, verse 14. It, John has something to declare about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've heard that, the word referring to Logos, Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Here's a fascinating question. What are you full of? Would people describe what you're full of the way they describe Jesus, full of grace and truth. I don't know, preacher dude. I've been told a few other things. Yeah, I know, I know. But that's an honest question. Would people describe you as a person who is filled with grace and truth? 
I think that's a valid question to wrestle with in our own life. As we started this series, we say, hey, new year, we want to build a healthy community. We want to kind of taking a, a, a chapter and several chapters really from the book of a, a church called Tove that Scott McKnight and his daughter Laura wrote that kind of looked at the, if we're honest, the, the scandals of churches and, and the reality of um, toxic culture that invades churches as well as we see in nonprofits and in group settings around the world. Like we, we see this and we're kind of getting to this idea of Tov. If you're kind of dialing in or tuning in, you don't know what in the world's Tov. Tov means good in Hebrew and it speaks about the goodness of God. You'll see it all over the scriptures. We are all witnesses to when good is not the norm of a culture or an organization or a group of people and the great damage and pain that can occur when that plays out, and the harm that it does to relationships, when abuse and neglect and indifference, intimidation and lies run rampant. We've seen that. Like, you just watch the news and you know what that is. Some of you have been a part of either groups or families or settings where that has played out and you felt the repercussions of that when a culture is not good. What we want is to understand that that happens in our world, it can happen in the church, and we need to be people who create the tove of God, the goodness of God in the cultures, in ourselves, and in the, the ripple effect that we can have upon the people around us. Tove is an active thing. It's not a passive thing or a set reality. It can grow or it can shrink. It's doing one or the other. And you have the influence and I have the influence to either help it grow or we can help it retreat. When we look at Jesus, we see the goodness of God in action. Jesus doesn't just do good, he is good. So the theme of doing good is all throughout the scriptures account. And so uh, Lyle introduced this last week, kind of this next slide, there's the graph of just this idea, we talked about empathy radar, right? Empathy and compassion and how that kind of leads into this idea of building on truth, being people of grace, people who put others first and kind of, you can see this cycle. This is what Scott and Laura pull out in their book and it kind of all builds and feeds on one another. We choose to exercise empathy and compassion. We choose to be followers of Jesus who extend his grace and we value people first over maybe other procedures or things where things can get sideways. We want to be a grace-filled church. I love what Lyle said last week is, as we create this Tove culture, never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to transform people through grace-filled environments. That's the kind of church we want to be. And God's done some of his best work through grace-filled environments all throughout the centuries since the time of Jesus. And so today, I wanna to turn our attention to truth. And I wanna look at this idea of truth in one sense, what we see in the scriptures, the basis for that, and then I wanna kinda of dial in real specific to the, us having the ability to face truth ourselves and to be people of truth. And we're gonna to lead to a time of communion. So if you're watching from home, maybe you can send someone to get some element. I think when I left my house, my kids are dialed in and I think they had goldfish and maybe they're gonna split up some soda. So like, it doesn't have to be just a communion thing. So you could do that if you need to. If you're here in the house, we've got communion on the tables in the back, some in the, uh, in the <clears throat> wherever that is, balcony, there you go. Um, if uh, you can get that, and you can even get it now if you want, and so that you're ready for that later on. So today as we turn our attention to telling ourselves the truth and being people who promote truth in our community, who don't allow false narratives or lies to influence or infiltrate our relationships and our networks, what we understand is we live in a time and an age where fake news is a prominent thing. 
where the world that is lost in the sea of information that we all swim in, it's easy to fake a new normal or to accept as reality falsehoods. It just seems to be the way the world works. We can lie to ourselves and we can lie to others. We can either see truth or we can get caught up in lies and pretend that is truth. And it's imperative um, to have good friends around us who can actually help us see our blind spots. How many of you have had a good friend who has helped point some things out to you and you have been the beneficiary of that even though it may have ruffled your feathers at first? Because truth may lead to freedom, Jesus is gonna get to that, but it doesn't mean it's always easy. So we need good people around us. I think this is where I'll put a caveat and say, I'm a big proponent of, of counseling, not just in crisis times, but like ongoing routine maintenance. I see a counselor about every three or four months. You know why I do that? Because I don't want to be in crisis. I want to be a healthy person. I want to have a healthy family. I want to lead a healthy church. I'm not an overly perfect, healthy person, but I work on that. And so if you're a person who is, uh, here's the, the axiom I kind of live by. I think healthy people seek out counsel. I think unhealthy people hide. That's the truth. And so I want to try to live this way. I'm still broken. And there's still stuff God's working on in me. But I want to be open to that work that God wants to do in me. And so I just want to encourage you, if you are ever at a place where you think that would be beneficial, man, I'm for that. I can help you. Find some people that can help you in that. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, 23. John 8 is one of those interesting passages in the Bible. When you read through it, it's one of the most intense chapters in the entire gospel of John. Jesus does this incredible feeding miracle ministry. People continue to hound at him, and then he preaches the hardest sermon he's ever preached and basically says, people, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. What? And everybody left. And Jesus turned to the disciples, are you going to leave too? And remember Peter's statement? Where else will we go? You alone have the words of life. It was a challenging moment. The crowds, the crescendo of his life, his influence was there. And yet into that moment, he's preaching truth, which was hard for people to hear at times. And they're like, we don't want any part of that. And many, many people left because truth matters. Truth can be intense at times, but it is what sets us free. The opposite of that is lies. And we know how lies can bind us up and hold us captive. So a little peek into the psyche of Jack at 16. I still remember this. I went to a movie with my buddies from church. We went to see Iron Eagle 2, which should tell you that was a horrible choice because any time a movie is like the second one, it's just dumb for most of them, right? We can debate about Rocky, but anyway. So like this idea, like the second one. So that's what we're going to see. And my buddies were like, hey, we don't want to see that. We want to see child's play. What? The Chucky doll thing? And I was like, I've never seen a horror movie. They're like, come on, man. And so like, I, we snuck into the other theater. Now, my dad had a rule, the house rule, that we didn't see R-rated movies. Your house can have different rules. My house has different rules now. But we want to be people who are wise and wisdom. Anyway, so that was the house rule I lived under. So I'm sitting there in the movie theater, in the back, trying to find, I, my parents are going to show up. I know it. I, they're going to walk through the door because they have a tracker on me somehow. And, and like, this is back in the 80s. So anyway, um, I'm sitting there 
there, and in the first five minutes, the guy transfers his soul to a doll. Like, total satanic stuff. And I'm like, I should not be here. Like, my skin is crawling. I know this is not right, Jesus. I'm so sorry. Did I leave? No. I got to save face before the guys. So I'm there. I'm giving you a peek into me, okay? So peer pressure got the best of me. I go home. We go to Wendy's afterwards. I'm throwing my trash away. I swear to you, Chucky was in the dumpster. Like, like he yelled at me, and I was like, what? And like, we go home. I walk in the door. My parents are like, hey, how was the movie? I'm like, ah, you know, it's an airplane guy and stuff and things. And I blew it off, and I like totally made up a narrative story that was not true at all. And I'm sweating. I go to bed. I can't sleep the entire night. Like maybe an hour. The next day, I'm groggy, go through the whole, I can't sleep the next night, and the next night. By day four, I finally fess up, like, Mom, Dad, I know you got this rule, like, I, I got to own this, like, I did not go see Iron Eagle 2, no one should, it's a dumb movie, probably, but, like, I went and saw this, and they're like, we know, I'm like, what, how do you, what, you knew? Somehow, somebody saw me and had talked to my mom. And then my mom tells me, you know, I've always prayed ever since you were little that if you were ever lying, that you would get caught. You prayed this? Like this was the prayer of your heart? Listen, don't ever underestimate the power of a praying mama or grandma. (laughs) And in that moment, I learned a lesson. Man, I want to be a person of truth. And that's what she said to me. I want you to be a person of truth. Now, silly example, several years ago, that record still plays because I know the twinge in my own heart when I choose to begin to go down false narratives or to spin stories or to put filters on my expectations or my perceptions. Do you recognize it? See, sometimes you can get caught up in lies long enough that you even become dull to it. And you become numb to it. And pretty soon the lines get really blurry between truth and falsehoods. And you can make it go one way or the other. And I think that's why all throughout the scriptures this call, see, living in lives never leads us or anyone else to healthy places. But living in the truth directs us in the way of Jesus. I think that's the challenge for us, is to be people of truth who tell the truth to themselves and are able to be people of truth in the relationships we have. The way of the Christian living anchors us around truth-telling. We see it emphasized in the scriptures all over the place. Let me just give you a splattering of it. The Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.15, we are to speak the truth in love meaning there's a context to how we speak truth. In love, we do do that. Paul tells us that love, agape love, the God kind of love, doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in what? Truth. Paul challenges people uh, who exchange the truth of God for the falsehood of idolatry. In Romans 1, he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever to be praised. Amen. 
Proverbs says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. David writes in Psalm 15, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain? Those whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speak the truth from their hearts. I could give you hundreds of more examples. Here's one last one. The Apostle John, 1 John, here's what he says. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Walking in darkness is the opposite of truth-telling. When you don't walk in darkness and you walk in the shadows, we want to walk in the light of God. There is a decision that we each have to make when it comes to how you navigate life. The decisions you make, the choices you take, and the directions that you go. Each of us, whether you're sitting in your living room right now listening to this or whether you're sitting right here, each of us have to wrestle with this. Where will you go? Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Here's the takeaway. When we face the truth, we will find God's freedom. That's the promise Jesus is making. When you face the truth, you will find God's freedom. And while it's absolutely correct that truth will set you free, it is also true that truth may make you miserable for a while. It may. In fact, you've got friends, and I've got friends, and I've probably taken this journey, and you maybe have walked some of this journey as well, is when we live in false narratives, or we spin things a certain way, or we try to interpret things a certain way, take us on a detour away from living in the light, walking in the light, living in truth, and we get into these sideways places, and when to get out of that, maybe someone confronts you, someone pushes you, you decide to take a different direction, and it's challenging to get back to the truth. It almost feels like it's easier to continue to live out the lie until there's a crescendo moment in life and then you realize you've got to face the music, you've got to face the truth and it can be a challenge. Sometimes honestly owning the truth and telling yourself the truth or in in the midst of our own broken choices and decisions can be very daunting and difficult and heartbreaking, can it? Anyone willing to admit and raise your hand that you've walked some of that journey? Because I have. It's a challenge. It doesn't mean it won't make you miserable at times, but it is the way to freedom. To to face the truth is to find God's freedom, but you have to face it, and you may have to walk through it. It might be a challenge to speak truth to friends or to family or to people around us. Truth can be challenging. Now, we are to speak the truth in what? Paul said, in love. We're not to be people who bulldoze over others with the truth because we left our love attitude back at the house. I know people who love to speak truth. Actually, they love to yell truth. But they're not doing it in love. They're not truth tellers seeking to be helpful. They are often seeking to be hurtful with truth. Trying to use truth as a weapon instead of an invitation to experience the love of God. See, Jesus spoke truth, and sometimes hard, challenging truth. Read John 8. But it was always in the spirit of seeking the best for people not to cancel culture them, or to push them off and to write them off. Truth in love always leads to growth 
and freedom for ourselves and for others. It's one of the reasons I love reading the scriptures. Reading the scripture story, I'm in the Old Testament this year. Lyle and I were chatting even a week ago. There is some messed up, broken stuff in the people of God. You know what I love about the Bible? It's not Disney Plus. It's raw, and it's real, and it's gritty. And you're like, God, you work through these people? Like, they totally denied you. Like, they totally lied. They totally, and God's like, yeah, see, I use broken people. Hello? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty broken. Yeah. You want my heart attuned to you, to own the truth, to face the truth. God is willing to tell the truth about our human failings, and he wants us to be people of truth and authenticity. Authenticity might be the greatest currency of our day. People who are willing to be honest with themselves and others and who don't spin things or tell lives or create false narratives, but are gritty and real and honest, motivated by love. I think that's the voice that the church should champion because I think that's the voice people are longing and looking for. Not perfection, but an authentic realness that says, yes, I see that, I felt that, I've been there, and God can still meet me in the midst. See, when you face the truth, you can find God's freedom. God desires that we face the truth, which is maybe challenging at times, but it's there when we face the truth, when he can do the work that only he can do. It's there when he can shape us, help us, transform us, and bring healing and help our way. When we live in lies, we miss the opportunity for that to unfold in our lives. It reminds me, I think, of one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Uh, If you ask Christians what their favorite book in the Bible, in fact, go ahead and turn to your neighbor. What's one of your favorite books in the Bible? You can do this at home too. Just turn to the person on the couch next to you. What's one of your favorite books of the Bible? If you're sitting by yourself, just talk to yourself, it's fine. One of your favorite books of the Bible. Now, if I were to ask you that and put a microphone in your face, I don't think any of you at home or here said Leviticus. In fact, Bible reading plans have shipwrecked more people in Leviticus than any other book maybe in the Bible. Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Okay, the third one in, and you're kind of like, what is going on here? And Leviticus is this idea of so many rituals and so much of understanding, here's the priest and what their role is and their job and everything that's to unfold. And it's, it's kind of hard to understand if we're honest. A, because we're not Jewish. And B, we're not living in the desert back in that time. But to even understand and get through it, it's hard to see the reality of it until you focus on Leviticus chapter 16. And that's what I want to look at. The Day of Atonement. What's fascinating about the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16 is this was to be something that played out in the life of Israel, that they were to play once a year, Every year, they would have this festival that kind of started, this feast that would start, and on the last day of that would be the Day of Atonement. You may have heard it called Yom Kippur. And this was to be the celebration of what played out. Uh, Ray Durlin is a meticulous uh, Old Testament scholar. He describes it this way. The week beforehand, the high priest was to be put in seclusion. So here's what would happen. The high priest, one time a year, would go into the Holy of Holies, which is the most inner part of the Jewish temple. One time a year, 
they would go in and they would represent themselves and they would represent the people before God and they would seek God's forgiveness and blessing over the people one time a year, the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. So in this day, what would happen is the high priest would go into seclusion about a week before that to kind of work on his own heart, to prepare his own heart, to be completely alone, why? To avoid sin. And he'd isolate himself so he wouldn't accidentally touch or eat anything unclean and become unclean himself. And so he would go into the seclusion. Uh, clean food would be brought to him. He would live in seclusion for a week. And then the night before the Day of Atonement, he would stay up all night praying and reading God's word to purify his own soul and to prepare for what was going to happen. Then on Yom Kippur, he would get up in the morning. People would be in the courts of the temple. He would bathe behind kind of this veiled thing where he would bathe from head to toe completely, put on brand new linens, walk into the Holy of Holies with a sacrifice, and he would sacrifice on behalf of himself. God, I'm broken. The truth of me is I'm broken. I'm sinful, I am messed up, and I need your forgiveness. He would offer that sacrifice. He would come back out. And a second time, he would bathe head to toe. He would put on brand new linens, and he would go in and offer a sacrifice again on behalf of all the priests that represented the people. God, we are messed up. We are broken before you. You are holy and set apart, and we are not. And so would you please accept this sacrifice and forgiveness of our sins? He would come out a third time, bathe head to toe. Hush would usually fall over the crowd because this time he was going in for you. And he would take a sacrifice into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice on behalf of all the people. God, would you forgive the people for our brokenness and our sinfulness, our shame, the ways we've broken covenant with you. And then he would come out and he would take off the linens and the day of atonement would be done. Now, that's Leviticus 16. I want you to watch something because maybe you've never connected the dots. Your savior, if you're a Christian, Jesus, did kind of the same thing. In fact, the week before his death, he kind of goes into seclusion. He kind of pulls back a little bit from the ministry he was doing. And he begins preparing what's going to be happening and getting himself ready for the ultimate day of atonement that he's going to bring. Just like the high priest, Jesus began to prepare the week beforehand. And like the high priest, the night before his sacrifice, he stayed up all night. He prayed. But he wasn't clothed in rich garments like the Jewish high priest who was actually stripped of the only garment he had as he began to go on trial. And he didn't get bathed to get clean. He actually was bathed in human spit as people spit on him, as he took a punishment that you deserve, that I deserved. And he stood in our place. And he didn't get words of encouragement or cheers from the crowd around him. He actually got jeered by the crowd around him and ridiculed. And he didn't turn toward God and see God's delight. He actually felt the face of God turn away for the first time in his entire life, completely abandoned and alone. And when he breathed his last, his last statement was, it is finished. 
and they take him down from the cross, and they bury him. And then the best part, three days later, he rises again. Why? To prove that the check cleared. It is finished. No longer do you mean to make payment for your sin. I paid it on your behalf. Resurrection is what proved that the check cleared. He's made a way. What's fascinating is Peter and John run to an empty tomb. What do they find in the empty tomb? The only thing in there. Jesus' linens. Which is what the high priest would do on the Day of Atonement, the very last thing, take off the linens and leave them behind. <laughs> Jesus, your Savior, did that for you. I, I think that's why communion is such an integral part, a, a part of the sacraments of what Jesus gave us. As he said to his people, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I've done something. For the first time in history, the way God opened up reality, when Jesus died and yelled, it is finished, the temple court, the Holy of Holies, this giant 60-foot, incredibly huge uh, curtain that separated that was ripped top to bottom, 60 feet high. Did you do that? Did I do that? Nope, God did that. This curtain weighed probably 500 pounds. This isn't like a little dinky shower curtain. This is huge. It separated the Holy of Holies from the people. See, the priest can only go one time a year. But now the door is open for us to have relationship with God. The Day of Atonement happened. The true ceremony, the true Day of Atonement, had always been pointing toward this day. And it was finally and forever finished. That's why Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, truth matters. Truth is a person, the person of Jesus. Truth is the way of Jesus, and we are called to walk in the way of Jesus where we champion truth, we speak truth to ourselves, which sometimes can be the hardest truth to speak. But we also speak truth to others and the ripple effect that truth is meant to have because when you face truth, you can find God's freedom. That's where it is. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's why as elders and as pastors and as congregation we're to not ever skip the design God has given, the practices of what he installed and what he put in place. And what you see is this practice and this rhythm of confession and repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. We see that throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. And so tonight, I just want to create space, whether you're here in the room or there in your living room, for you to have a moment of truth, truth-telling. God, I want to face the truth because that's where I'll find your freedom. And so this rhythm of confession, repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, 
I believe that's why Jesus gave us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and said, do this in remembrance of me. A great prayer that I'm gonna give you some space to pray through is Psalm 139, verse 23, 24 says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I want to give you 60 seconds right now to just sit with that verse. Just your seat, your living room. God, would you search me? I want to be a person of truth. And that sometimes means I need to face the truth. The day of atonement was a day of reckoning. Here's the truth. You're broken. You're not perfect. You're not all that in a bag of chips. In fact, there's a lot of cracks in you. There's a lot of cracks in me. And I need to own that because it's only when I face the truth that I'll actually find the freedom. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so take a moment and just pray that prayer. God, would you search my heart? Is there anything in me that is not your best? Is there anything that you need to confess to him? Any actions that you need to own, repent from? Are there any ways that you may have veered off from his best and kind of doing things on your own and those ways violate what he asked you to do or to be about as his follower? Are there lies that have been spoken into your life or you even speak over your life that are just that, they're lies, they're not the truth of what he says about you? And you've been living under the weight of that lie, the effect of that, the reach of that. And you need to own that and confess that. What your mom said about you may not be true. What your dad said about you may not be the truth. What your boss said about you may not be the truth. Jesus speaks the truth. What's he say about you? Are there any ways that you've been seeking the approval of others over the approval of God? And you've done things, thought things, gone places. God would say, I've got better for you. Listen for his promptings, his truth, his love. He always speaks truth in love. As you hold that communion, Paul said to the church in Corinth, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. You're to do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant. In my blood, you are to do this in remembrance of me. When you're ready, in about 30 seconds or so, you're gonna take communion on your own. But as you prepare to take that, and as we prepare to close with a song tonight, I, I just want to speak truth 
over you and I want you to receive it. I want to declare the truth of God over you. When you come to his table and you do this in remembrance of him, as a follower of Jesus, if that's you, this is the voice you're to hear. The brutal truth is you and I are broken. We are sinful and we are not as we should be. But the greater truth is Jesus came for you to rescue you. See, the truth is you are precious to the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that's why he gave his one and only son to pursue a relationship with you and provide a way for you to be known. The truth is that through faith in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, you are forgiven, you are reconciled, you are rescued, you are reclaimed, and you are redeemed. The truth is you are loved and saved and sealed and restored because of Jesus and your faith in him. The truth is that you will never traverse one second or take one step on your own. Your Savior walks with you in each moment of life. He is for you and he is not against you. The truth is there is nothing that can come against you that God cannot and will not bring you through. The truth is there is nothing that can separate you from him and God is with you now and in every tomorrow and with you forever. That's the truth of those who are in Christ. So Father, I pray that your spirit would minister to our hearts as we engage in communion here, as we remember what you did for us, Jesus, through the cross and resurrection. Thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. Our life, my life. Thank you that when we are people who face the truth, we will always experience your freedom. So in the next 30 seconds or so, why don't you take communion on your own and whisper a prayer of gratitude to God? And then we'll close our night with song.
May Christ be magnified in your life as a person who nurtures truth, truth for yourself, that you not get bogged down in the lies spoken over you, around you, at you, that you live truth, and that you're a person who nurtures truth in the relationships and the influence that you have. To speak truth in love for people's best. And may the ripple effect of that begin to invite people to this Jesus. See, when you face the truth, you can experience the freedom of Jesus. You might be here, you might be tuning in, and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Then friend, I just invite you to say yes to him. To go, Jesus, I need you. That was the reckoning happening in Leviticus 16. That's the reckoning that's happening as Jesus put out this message to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That's truth. Is that hard to accept? Yes. That's challenging. But it's truth. And so do you need to say yes to that? If you do, talk to the friend that brought you. Come see us. Come talk to us. Email us if you're watching online. We'd love to help you discover this Jesus who loves you, who's for you, not against you. So as we go tonight, um, thanks for being a part of everything that happens in Elements. I know we got people that are connected and engaged and in and out and all that stuff. And we got a lot of mess going on. But we pray for health for you. Uh, may his blessing be upon you, his favor over your life. Thanks for partnering with us. We don't do giving here where we pass a plate. We've got giving boxes in the back. A lot of folks give online. So if you're new around here, that's a way that you can begin to partner with us, just being the church. Uh, serve Sunday again, February 13th. Uh, we'll talk more about that. But I really want to hit the idea of e-groups and discipleship groups. One of the ways that we live in truth is that we live in community. And so if you're not connected into a community setting here yet, then you can stop by the table and take a picture of some of the community groups that are meeting. Uh, we have discipleship groups that are getting ready to start here in February. That is intense, I'm telling you. It's 26 weeks of walking through with one or two other people. Here's what it means to follow Jesus. Do you need that in your life? Do you wanna take that next step? then sign up. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby. Go write your name, your email, your phone number. We'll get in touch with you. We believe in that. I'm telling you, it will change your life. Just being intentional about it. Some of the folks that you're around have been through that and it has changed them. Why? Because they wanted to become a follower of Jesus. What does that mean to actually live that out on a Monday and on a Tuesday at work? This is a way that I can begin to help you with that. So if that's you, sign up for that. If you need prayer, Lyle will be down front here um, or someone will be down here to, to pray with you. I'll be at the 10-minute party if you're brand new. We'd love to meet you. And, and see, Karen's back there too. Uh, I'll give you a free popcorn. It's the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon, I'm telling you. So if you're new, meet us back there. We'd love to, to hang out with you. If you're watching from online, we pray God's blessing to you over uh, your week ahead and over you as well here. May his face shine upon you, his grace be with you, his smile rest upon you, and his presence with you every single moment of this week to come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.